0: for those of you who are uh, visiting us for the first time, welcome. And we're continuing our Sermon on the Mount. And today we're going to look at the um, beatitude um, that comes from Matthew 5 verse 7. So if you have your Bibles, could you please uh, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 verse 7. And this is what Jesus says, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Cuz in this whole sermon of the mount which we're going to be going through the entire year, Jesus is outlining what his kingdom is going to look like. Jesus is telling us for those of us who are want to be his disciples and who want to live in his kingdom, this is how you should live. And this was radically different than what the Jewish uh, bel- uh, the Jewish believers or the Jewish um yeah, the Jewish community thought at this time. And the word mercy there basically means beneficial or charitable, right? The basic meaning is to help the afflicted and rescue the helpless. However, the Jewish leaders, you know, they were proud, and judgment, not mercy, was part of their practice, right? They were proud people, and they loved to lord it over people to show that they were self-righteous. And when somebody stepped out of line, they let you know it. So mercy really wasn't a part of the way that they lived out their faith. And the Romans, you know, they, they loathed, they detested mercy because they thought mercy was a quality of the weak. That only the weak showed mercy, and so here you have these people growing up in this culture where mercy really wasn't a part of the way they lived life. However, both religious, the Jewish religious leaders and the Romans showed mercy when it benefited them. Meaning that I will show you mercy because if I do so, I will be able to get something in return. Meaning I'll show you mercy because you have something that down the road... I'm going to probably need you to show me mercy. However, this view of mercy is not what Jesus is talking about. He's about showing compassion to those who are needy, who cannot pay you back or give you anything in return. And when Jesus talks about mercy, there are two components Of mercy. Some of us think mercy is one dimensional, but there are actually two components of mercy. Mercy is compassion in action. Okay? Mercy is having compassion, but not only compassion, but coupled with action. And then also mercy is forgiving those who have sinned against you. And you know, the second one is probably one of the hardest teachings for us to follow, but it is commanded by our Lord if we are to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And see, mercy is a characteristic of Jesus, right? And our goal as believers is to become more and more like Jesus as we continue to walk with him. So mercy has to be a part of how we live out our life. Meaning, a true disciple of Christ Has compassion for those in need, and once again, once in in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus is outlining what a true disciple of Jesus of His looks like, and what we are going to learn today that a true disciple um, of Christ has compassion for those. And so we're going to go to chapter Luke and we're going to look at a parable that um, you're all familiar with. So if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Luke 10, verse 25? And this is what the author records. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, a teacher of the law isn't a lawyer like we think of today. A teacher of the law is somebody who understood and was very familiar with and studied the Mosaic law or who was uh, a professional in religious law, not what we, well, not the lawyer that we think of today. But he wanted to know, what do I need to do to gain eternal life? And this kind of shows that everybody, whether you're a believer or not, there's something inside each one of our souls that longs for something beyond our life here. That we want to know that once we die here, that there's something else. That our lives are doesn't end just with this. you know. And so the scribe said he tested jesus now we don't know if he was testing jesus just to trap him or he was asking jesus because there was a real need to say you know what (laughs) i need to know how do i get eternal life i need to know that there's something beyond this life and i want to experience that so jesus responds and he says what is written in the law he replied and how do you read it And the lawyer answered, Love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Now, this teacher or expert in the law, he knew the Mosaic Law and he said the right answer. But I know deep down in his heart, he probably knew that he could not fulfill this perfectly. Or completely, and this is why we have the law. Whether the ten, the ten started with the Ten Commandments to show us that we cannot meet God's standards, and eventually that we would need a Savior to pay for our sins. However, this lawyer could not come to. Uh, oh, okay. I thought that was. I hope that wasn't my stomach or anything. I'm going what, you know. Um, but um, this lawyer was a proud guy. And, you know, he just couldn't, he knew that he didn't measure up. But, you know, he was also knew that he was self-righteous. And so he goes on to say, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Because he probably thought, oh, you know what? You know, my neighbors are the people that live around me. You know, yeah, I care about them. They're my family. They're my friends. I care about them. And so what he wanted to do is he wanted to show Jesus how righteous he was. And he wanted to come to God with his own righteousness on on his own terms. Not the righteousness that God says. And we talked about this last week. Where there are some who, who, when it comes to righteousness, we come to Jesus On our own terms. And we say, well, this is what I believe righteous is. And so I'm going to do that. And we learned last week that what? Our righteousness are like filthy rags to a holy God. And so once again, this guy tried to justify himself. And he probably thought, it's like, Jesus, I do that. I do that. But instead of telling him, your neighbor or your friend's your neighbor are the people that you normally care about jesus responds by telling a parable and it says in verse 10 verse 30 in um, cha- uh, verse 30 in reply jesus said and a man was going down from jerusalem to jericho when he was attacked by robbers they stripped him from his clothes and beat him and went away leaving him half dead now this was a 15 mile journey from jerusalem to Jericho. But this road was also notorious for being very dangerous due to the muggers that were often um, uh, camped out in all of these different crevices and they could hide out there. And so this was a road that you didn't travel alone. So they were, even though Jesus is telling this story, they all knew that this was a very dangerous road. So we see Jesus telling them about this man who was beaten to the inch of his life. And then he, Jesus goes on and says, A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw a man, he passed on the other side. And so basically, you know, the priest, they worked in Jerusalem, but they all, many of them lived in Jericho. So they had to go back and forth on this road. And Jesus said, not only did this priest, and he was the one who did the sacrifice, for the people, the one who probably knew the law, the one, if there's anybody that should practice mercy, it should be this guy. Jesus said he saw the guy, and not only did he pass by him, he went to the other side of the road and passed him, okay? And so Jesus continues, he goes, so too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him. He passed by on the other side. A Levite was somebody who assisted the priest, right, in the uh, temple. But the Levite also would have known the law. And the Levite, you would think, would be also one who shows compassion because God is a God of mercy and compassion. But what does he do? He sees this guy, and he walks to the other side. He didn't just walk close and see if he's okay. He walked to the other side and passed him. By, And this is where the story takes a turn. Then he said, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came by where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now this is like Jews hated Samaritans. To a Jew, a Samaritan, they were pretty much the scum of the earth. They were the enemies. They hated Samaritans. And so Jesus said, well, there's a Samaritan. The two religious guys who should have known to have mercy did nothing. But here's... This scum of the earth guy, the enemy, somebody we loathed as a people group. He said he passed by and he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any expense you may have. And so basically this guy not only took pity on him, he helped him. This is compassion, what? In action. He just didn't look at him and say, you know what? I'll pray for you. God, please heal this man and go on. And you know, who he actually took him to the inn, and based on the quality of the inn, this um, the payment that he gave would have covered a person for three weeks up to two months. Could you imagine in today's dollars how much that would be to maybe pay somebody without insurance to take him to the hospital and say, you know what, I'll take care of the payment. You know, I'll pay from anywhere from three weeks up to two months. Could you imagine how much that would have cost? But this is what that Samaritan did. Then Jesus asked this expert of the law, which one of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robber? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, Told him, go and do likewise. Who was the one who loved his neighbors? Not the religious guys that were supposed to. It was a Samaritan who had compassion that was coupled with action. You know, in John 1 John 3, 7, the author writes, John writes, If anyone has material possession and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? You know, and this is why we do family promise, right? This is why we help homeless people, you know, staying you know, in our campus four times a year to help them. Why? To show them the mercy and compassion that God wants us to have. You know, it's not something we're doing just to pat ourselves on the back. It's something that we do out of who we are as disciples of Jesus Christ. It says, those who have no mercy on those who are physically and economically in distress are not true disciples of Christ. Once again, you know, those who absolutely have no compassion to those who are physically or economically in need are not true disciples of Jesus Christ. And this is what Jesus is saying here. And this is why this is so important for us to live like this. So the first thing is that um, compassion, um, mercy is compassion coupled with action. The second thing is a true disciple of Jesus forgives those who sin against him and her. A true disciple of Jesus forgives those who sin against him and her. And then let's look at Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, Peter thought this was a good question. You know, when, and I just love Peter, and I thank him so much for asking this question, and you're going to see why. But he asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive somebody? Seven times? And, and J- Peter, he was expecting a pat on the back. Because according to Jewish tradition, forgiving some, somebody seven times was more than double what Jewish tradition was. So, you know, Peter's sitting up there, you know, proud. and he says, hey, Jesus, how much should we forgive? Up to seven times? Hey, that's twice as much as the other guys would forgive him. Um, and Jesus answered him, I tell you, not seven times. But seventy, seven, seventy times seven. And it's just going, what? You know? And so Peter's looking at it. He thought he's all proud, right? And so what does Jesus say? No, no, no. I want you to forgive him seven times seventy, which is, you know, Peter probably did the math in his mind four hundred and ninety times. So was Jesus telling Peter that you are to forgive somebody 490 times. But when you think about it, you know, how many of us would, you know, it's hard enough to forgive somebody seven times if they do something to us seven times. And 490 times, I know none of us would probably do that. We'd probably just cut that person out of our lives. However, Jesus wasn't saying 490 times. Jesus was saying Keep forgiving them. There is no limit on the amount that you should forgive him. But the beautiful thing about this is Jesus was not only telling Peter how to live and how to forgive others. You know what Jesus was telling Peter? He was telling Peter, this is how many times I forgive you. This is how much I forgive forgive you. John MacArthur says, record keeping is not to be considered and a Christian with a forgiving heart thinks nothing about it. He forgives the hundredth offense or the thousands just as readily and graciously as a first because that is the way that he is forgiven by God. Okay? You know, God also Forgives us, whether it's the first time, the hundredth time, the thousandth time, He readily forgives us the thousandth time as much as He forgives us the first time. Now, this doesn't mean that we could say, All right, you know, I could do what I want. Because once again, we learned in the Beatitude, it says, Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn over our sin. So, this doesn't give us um, license. To sin. But I just thank God that Peter asked that question because, in that question, Jesus gave Peter an insight into his heart about us. That when we sin and we struggle and we continue to sin and we show the remorse and we repent and then we keep sinning, Jesus says, I am going to keep on forgiving you and I'm not going to keep record of. The amount of times that you sin, and I don't know how many times this blessed me when I found this out. But then he also goes on to tell Peter a story to teach him about forgiveness, and he says in verse um, chapter eighteen, verse twenty-three, he goes, "Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who set to who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began began the settlement, a man owed him." Ten thousand bags of gold. A man who owed them ten thousand bags of gold was brought to him. Now, the Greek word 10, the reason they used ten thousand bags is the Greek word used for ten thousand was the largest number in the Greek vocabulary at that time. It figuratively represented an uncountable number. Okay, so what the Jesus is saying is there's this one man who owed this one, his master, an incountable or incalculable a number. And when you think about our society uh, or our current status, currently the largest number is a Google Plexian. How many of you knew that? A few of you. Okay. Now the third largest number is a Google. Now that's not the... Google is just one with a hundred zeros. Okay. And then after that is a Google Plex and a Google Plexian. Now, you know, I tried to figure out what a Google Plex was and it kind of blew my mind. I couldn't even figure it out. So just Google it and then you'll figure out how big this number is. But this a Google Plexion is so huge, it can't even be calculated. And we know that numbers go on and on and on. You keep on adding a zero and a zero. But practically, this is the biggest number that we have today. And so Jesus was saying, this is what this one, I, one individual owed his master. And then calculate amount that there was no way he could pay off in his lifetime. And he goes on to say, Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And once again, this guy was lying because he knew that there was no way that he would, could pay this off. He was just begging for mercy at this point. However, this is why the story takes a twist but the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Wow. I mean, if somebody owed you an exorbitant amount of money, how many of us would say, you know what, I'm going to cancel your debt. Just, you know, go and live a good life. You know, most of us would say, okay, can at least you give me 10%, maybe 20%. But no, what Jesus says is this debt was an incalculable amount. And the master says, you know, I forgive you because I have pity. I want to show mercy on you. But when the servant went out, he found out one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 silver coins, and he grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. So once again, the servant who had just been um, showed mercy and forgiven in calculable amount, Jesus tells him there's this one person who owes him a hundred bags of silver. Now, 100, uh, excuse me, a hundred silver coins. And basically, a hundred silver coins represented a hundred days' wages for a common worker. Okay, not an executive, a common worker, maybe working minimum wage. This represented a hundred days' work. He was forgiven and an incalculable amount. But then this one guy owes him a 100 days wages. And so he's just choking him. He's so mad at this guy because he can't repay them. And his fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Wow. This looks, sounds familiar here. However, in this case, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told the master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And what Jesus is saying here is we all hold God a debt that's incalculable. And that is what? Our sin. There was no way any of us could pay our debt of sin to God. But he said, I know you can't. I'm going to show mercy on you. I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you. My son is going to pay the debt that I know that you can't pay yourself. That's that incalculable number. Now what's this 100 coins of silver? What's this 100 days wages that he's talking about? These are the sins people Commit against us. Some of them, to be honest, some of them feel like it's more than just a hundred silver coins. You know, it's one thing to have, you know, somebody maybe, you know, call us a name or to persecute us, make fun of us. But it's another thing if you've been abused, if you've been assaulted, or somebody in your family has gone through that. And you're not looking at that as 100 bags of silver. You're looking at that as 10,000 bags of gold. But to God, and as hard as this is for us to understand, as bad as we've been sinned against, God is saying, that's that 100 coins of silver. What I've forgiven you, is 10,000 bags of gold. And since I could forgive you for a, a debt that you cannot repay, you need to forgive those. You know, in uh, Matthew um, 18 thir- 35, he rams us on and he says, This is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The master threw that one unmerciful servant in jail to be tortured. You know, and that's, you know, analogy for this person, you know, was sentenced to hell because he didn't show any mercy. And Jesus said, you know, this is how God is going to treat you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. You know, those who refuse to exercise mercy by extending forgiveness are not true, are not a true disciple of Christ. And that's the warning here. Those who refuse to exercise mercy by extending forgiveness are not a true disciple of Christ. For a true disciple of Christ forgives. However... This does not apply to those who experience some bitterness or anger after they forgive somebody, right? We're not perfect. And if we forgive somebody, there still might be some bitterness. There still might be anger. Well, th- this is not what we're, who we're talking about here. Or this does not apply to somebody who finds forgiveness difficult because the offense is new. Or so fresh or heinous that they were still in shock and don't know how to feel about this. You know, this is not applying to you. Because forgiveness is a process. And sometimes when somebody does something to you, you're in such a state of shock, you don't know what to feel. And at that present moment, you're having a hard time forgiving them, Right? This doesn't apply to you. What this warning applies is to the person who willfully refuses to forgive someone and says, I will never, ever, ever forgive you. This is a person who doesn't forgive anybody and will not forgive anybody for the sins committed against them. Once again, forgiveness is a process You know, there's this ridiculous saying that says forgiveness is forgetting. I don't know who came up with that. But that statement is so ridiculous. You're never going to forget. You're always going to remember. But you know how when forgiveness, you know, um, has been fully realized in your life? Is when you could remember that situation and you feel no ill will against the person who committed that against you. And I know that's happened in my life, you know. And so once again, forgiveness is in the process. So at least as disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to at least have the attitude that said, God, please help me to forgive this person. Right now, I just can't. I just can't forgive them. But God, I know you want me to forgive them. Please help me to forgive them. That is the heart of a true disciple. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. If a disciple of Jesus Christ shows mercy, God will be merciful to him or her. You know, right now I'm going to show a, a, a clip from a movie that's a true story. Some of you have seen this movie. It's called I Can Only Imagine. And this um, clip or the story shows the power of forgiveness. I mean, as long as we don't forgive, you know, there's still one person in prison. And who's that? That's the person who is unwilling to forgive. You remain captive. You remain prisoner as long as we don't forgive. So could we see this uh, clip, safe? What are you doing? So. What is this? I, I wrote you some letters. Did you get them? Yeah. Threw them away. Did you read them? Nope. Oh. Um, I thought that's why you came back last night. Huh? Oh, I'm, you know, I was just trying to make a memory. That's all. That's well, kind of hard for me to do, Dad. So all the memories that we have together are bad. Uh, if you want some, get some ketchup. Son, I I know that I I did some things that I've. You did not some so- things. I got a memory for you, Dad. That night you beat me so badly. That I had to sleep on my stomach because I was so bruised. I couldn't move. What was it? Ten? Eleven? Yeah, I remember that. That uh, that tore me up. I I cried that all night about what I did to you. Then I cried too, Dad. In pain. What are you doing? What is this? You know, in, that pa- in you know, this clip, you know, Dennis Quaid is the father. You know, he's been learning more about God. And he's saying, why does God forgive everybody, but he can't forgive me? And his son says, you know, God for- can forgive you, but I can't. And this is a true story of Bart Millard, who's a singer for the worship band Mercy Me. However, Bart leads, eventually forgives his father and leads his father to Christ, who becomes a Christian. And this is what he said, my dad was a monster. That's the only word for it. I saw God transform him into the man I hated, to the man I wanted to become, and to, be to my best friend. I didn't think God could do this, so I wrote this song. And the song that he wrote out of his pain and the power of forgiveness was a song I could only imagine. And that's what we're going to sing right now. So I'm going to like ask the worship team to come forward. You know, as you see this, some of you, you know, might not know the song. But I just want you to look at the words. But as you look at the words, you know, for some of us who struggle with sin. You know, where some of us who just feel that God, there's no way God could have mercy on me. I want you to look at these words and just imagine that day when you come before Jesus and instead of receiving judgment, that you receive God's loving and open arms for you. Now, there are some of you here who are struggling to forgive somebody. And what I'd like you to do is when you look at these words, once again, a picture yourself standing before Jesus, and just the power that He has to change you, to allow you to be able to forgive, just like Bart Millard was able to give his father, father, after a year of, after a lifetime of physical and verbal abuse. God allowed him and gave him the strength to forgive his father. And he said, if he could do that, you know, he could do that for anybody. So why don't we (laughs) sing this song?